Let us now turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, or 23, rather. We begin to read at uh, verse 50 of Luke 23, and then we'll read down through verse 12 of uh, Luke 24. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and then they, they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Luke's account of Jesus' resurrection is... is uh, quite brief, and he omits details that uh, we are given elsewhere, although it's true that Luke does give this lengthy description of Jesus' appearance uh, to those on the road to Emmaus. Probably most remarkable to us from Luke's account is those memorable words of uh, the angels when they asked these women who came to the tomb, why do you seek the living among the dead? And then, he is not here, but is risen. And these are words of great joy. They are words that uh, proclaim uh, this victorious reality of what really should be obvious at this point to, to the women. But the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that morning was far from obvious to them who first came to the tomb. And it was far from obvious to uh, the other disciples as well. 
And along with this straightforward account of what happened that morning, uh, we're given to see, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a whole range of different emotions, uh, different responses by uh, the people involved. And uh, that account of these reactions, in a way, is just what we might expect from an honest report of uh, something that is just really hard to believe and something that is quite uh, astonishing, as astonishing as a literal resurrection from the dead and the resurrection of someone who uh, was the most important person in their lives, someone who I trust is the most important person in your life, and someone who actually is the most important person in the world, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that early Sunday morning. The Lord Jesus is risen, and we want to consider that this morning, as we ought to, as something that is simply astonishing in a marvelous way. And so we're going to look at these different reactions, uh, beginning with the perplexity of these women at an inconclusive sight. They saw things that uh, provided significant evidence to them of something remarkable, but in their minds it wasn't very conclusive, leading them to a certain and obvious conclusion. Now, there were at least five women who went to the tomb, and uh, three of them are named in verse 10. Uh, they, they set out, we know, while it was still dark that early morning, and uh, they came with those spices and fragrant oils that they had prepared uh, to anoint Jesus' body, to add spices to his burial cloths. And uh, when you pay attention to these other accounts, it makes you wonder what they really uh, were planning to do, what exactly that it is that they expected to do, and and did they consider it necessary? Because we know that these women observed where Jesus had uh, been placed uh, by by Joseph and uh, Nicodemus. And we know from John's account that they had already wrapped Jesus' body, not just with linen, but with like a hundred pounds of spices. So there were layers of linen uh, with layers of spices and we might wonder, did these women already know about that? Were they going to unwrap Jesus? Were they going to do things over? Were they just going to add to uh, this ointment that uh, and spices that he had already received? And uh, we're not sure. Maybe they themselves were not entirely sure about what they expected. We have to see their action, first of all, as an expression of their love and a kind of practical outlet uh, for, the, for their grief. I think that there are probably many men here this morning who would agree that uh, this might be something that their wives perhaps would be more inclined to do than themselves. I think it's true that many of us men would acknowledge that our wives and our mothers or sisters and and daughters are often much more hands-on and, and much more practical and helpful in concrete ways of showing their love for the Lord and their 
service of him uh, than we ourselves may be. They may not join in with our uh, theological uh, conversations, but so often uh, their practice and the demonstration of their love for the Lord and their service of others is uh, actually more significant and uh, more Christian and perhaps a better witness and uh, demonstrating more love for the Savior than ourselves. Something to think about, isn't it? Yes, certainly these women outshined the, the uh, disciples, all of them, this morning or that morning, on every count, in terms of the expression of love and loyalty, courage and witness. Uh, they go down in history. They were rewarded also for uh, their love for the Savior as they came to express it to uh, him that morning. And we read that they encountered uh, one surprise after another. First of all, they discovered that the stone had been rolled away. And we know, again, that that was something that they worried about because the stone was very heavy. And they wondered uh, how they were going to remove the stone from the mouth of the tomb. But lo and behold, the stone had already been removed. And then they went in and were told that they found the tomb empty. In verse 3, we read, Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. It's interesting at this point that Luke refers to our Savior as the Lord Jesus. Because it's characteristic that throughout uh, his narrative of Jesus' life, he is referred to as Jesus. But not, it's as if he can't even write about it. He can't even remember it now as he pens these uh, words by the inspiration of the Spirit, that the one of whom he writes indeed is the exalted Lord. It's like it, it creeps in into his very language with which he describes him. It's not simply the body of Jesus. It is that of the Lord Jesus. They didn't find him. We might say, well, of course they didn't find him. Because it's obvious to us. And we might say it should have been obvious to them. But we're told that they were greatly perplexed. Uh, they were bewildered. You might say they were puzzled. In fact, I think that might be a good description of their, their thoughts and feelings at this time. Because, uh, when you're, when you're putting a puzzle together, uh, you can't see the picture until you get the pieces all in place. And they, they fit together. And then you can, then you can see what, uh, what the whole picture is. And, uh, they seem quite unable to, to grasp the picture. And so they're left with empty pieces and they're, they're puzzled. They can't figure out, uh, what's happening. That might be, uh, similar to Peter's reaction that we're going to read about a little bit later. In a way, we might say that, uh, that that was an improvement from their feelings with which they came to the tomb that morning and often a kind of puzzlement that uh, gives expression to a kind of interest. You want to put the pieces together. Sometimes a kind of puzzlement, questions, can be the beginning of movement, movement away from sad assumptions 
movement away from wrong assumptions. I'm talking here about the fact that so few people have questions and are puzzled about what all the to-do is all about on this Easter morning. You'd think that people would be curious. You'd think that they would be interested in the Bible's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because after all, centuries upon centuries have commemorated this event throughout history. It's recorded in worship, and Christ is worshiped as the Lord who rose from the dead. And it would be a significant beginning for many if they would begin to ask questions about it. Get a little bit curious. Read the Bible. Talk to people. Evaluate the evidence, the reasons for this belief. These ladies were puzzled. And that was an important movement in the right direction, even though at this point it was it was quite inconclusive to them. They, they uh, couldn't fit all the pieces together. But secondly, we, we read of their fear. And they were afraid over uh, an incredible appearance. Angels appeared to the women in the form of men in uh, garments that uh, were as white as snow. In fact, we're told in Matthew's account that their face was like lightning. It must have been very frightening. These weren't some soft, uh, feminine-like creatures. Uh, they weren't little fat babies with tiny wings. They were angels in the appearance of men, but as from another world, an unearthly appearance that filled them with fear. Now, if you told me that an angel appeared to you, Last night, I would not believe you. I'm sorry. I just wouldn't believe you. It would be incredible. In other words, it would lack credibility for a variety of reasons. I could explain them if you want sometime. But this appearance of the angels was incredible, not because uh, there were no good reasons for it, not because it, it didn't make sense, but it was incredible in the sense that it's marvelous. And wonderful. It had to do with Jesus. And they should have immediately recognized the significance of that. Remember how Jesus interpreted uh, Jacob's dream when he saw a ladder extended from earth to heaven. And uh, Jesus told Nathaniel that uh, he would see greater things than what he had just uh, witnessed of Jesus' ability to know him deeply from a distance. He would say, Hereafter, you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's a wonderful picture of Christ as the mediator, as the one through whom heaven and earth are joined, the one uh, through whom there is communication and connection with heaven. And that is uh, demonstrated again and again throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus by the role and ministry of angels who appeared to announce His birth to shepherds at the very beginning of His coming, who were there at the climax of His time on earth when He ascended into heaven and the angels stood by and say, Men of Galilee, why are you staring into heaven? Angels ministered to Jesus at other critical points of His ministry when unlike Adam, He overcame Satan, not in a garden, but in a wilderness. And then angels came and ministered to him. 
than after that bloody battle in Gethsemane where Jesus said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Again, we're told that an angel came and strengthened him. Angels always showed up at critical points in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, these women were afraid. And you might say, well, in a way they had a reason to be afraid with reverence and fear. But they also had good reason to expect a marvelous revelation about the Lord. Because that's what they got. And the appearance of angels should have made their hearts beat already with expectation and joy. And then we see further movement. A movement to faith. Uh, through incontrovertible testimony. You know, I hesitated writing all these big words in the bulletin. I know I got, I got started and I couldn't kind of help myself, but I wanted to explain them all. <laughs> incontrovertible basically means absolutely certain. And they were given incontrovertible, absolutely certain testimony at this point. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They asked. And you know that questions can actually be very powerful ways of of making a statement. And that, in effect, is what they are doing. It's such a question that they should all be able to answer for themselves immediately as if, yes, that doesn't make sense. In other words, that would imply the, the, the fact that Christ is risen. And it doesn't make sense to be looking for him as if he were dead. But to make the point very clear, the angel says he is not here He is risen, and you should know that, in effect, right? And you could have known that with some reflection. It's really as simple as remembering what Jesus said. It's like the person who's trying to fit all the pieces of the puzzle together and uh, forgot that it's it's just right there on the box. Take Take a look at the box, and you'll be able to put the pieces together much more easily. Not to compare God's word to a picture, but the point is that the testimony that Jesus had given them has been so unmistakably clear. They just need to look at the box. They need to just remember and give some thought to what they had repeatedly heard from the Savior himself. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And again, not to discount the uniqueness, the once-for-all significance of this redemptive historical event as to the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and his appearance to many, along with the testimony of angels. We don't want to level that and say we all have our experience of Jesus' resurrection to us personally, as if there are all kind of the same. But at the same time, there's a comparison, isn't there, to our own experience in many respects? Isn't it true that, that moving from clarity or from, from uncertainty or perplexity to clarity or moving from, from fear to faith is so often not the discovery of something new. It's not some new teaching. It's not by some secret knowledge. It's not by some special insight or or individual revelation. But rather, it's a matter of being gripped, really gripped 
or gripped afresh with the simple, wonderful facts, the truths of God revealed to us in Scripture. Things that we believed after a manner but didn't really believe. Because we acted and we thought and we spoke as if our own personal concerns, our fears, our doubts, our misgivings, our circumstances, they're all bigger than what the Bible says. And those are the things we go by. And then by the grace of God, clarity. This is what the Bible says. This is what it means. This is what it says to me in my circumstances. Brothers and sisters, if you've never experienced that, and in fact, if that's not uh, part of your ongoing experience as a Christian, I'm talking about excitement about the Word of God. I'm talking about this sense, this conviction that the Word of God is true. It's so relevant. It's so good. And I just need to believe it and act upon it. And that's exhilarating. And sometimes that clarity comes to us, not by a new discovery, but a kind of remembrance, being gripped by the truth of God's Word. A person who has never been gripped by the Word of God in such a way, I'm not saying it has to be expressed with a kind of uh, jumping up and down or uh, emotional uh, display, but a person who is not gripped by the truth and the wonder and the goodness, the authority of the Word of God. It's not a Christian. Not yet. Because that's characteristic of faith. Faith is, is uh, brought to life through the Word of God. When that Word enters in, changes things. And that's what happened to these women. They were reminded of the testimony of Jesus and the wonderful reality of Him risen from the dead. They believed. And that leads us to move on to consider a different reaction. And that is unbelief. Unbelief of incredulous disciples. And incredulous means either unprepared or unwilling, unwilling to believe. The women told every follower of Jesus they met about the fact that Jesus is risen. They returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. All the rest of who? All the rest of the followers of Jesus that they knew or that they uh, they have encountered. And that was a matter of obedience to the message that told them to go communicate this message. But you can be sure that it was uh, something that they had their heart in. It was an exhilarating message that they had to share. And when you think about it, it must have taken a lot of grace and self-control for these ladies to handle the response of the disciples. Right? And their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they didn't believe them. What an insult to these ladies. As if they conspired to make something like this up. What a shameful display of unbelief. Later on in the chapter we hear, uh, Jesus' response to those who actually reported this as they walked along and were sad. And they were aware that this was the third day besides uh, he was crucified. And, and they even say, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that 
They had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. It's like they're reporting it. Yeah, that's, that's some other considerations to take into account. It's like, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. The events were in fulfillment of Jesus' word. They were in fulfillment of the teachings of the, the prophets. They were in fulfillment of these witnesses that God had sent to them with the message. They still didn't believe it. Actually, in the next chapter, when Jesus appeared to them, uh, He showed them His hands and His feet. And it says, while they still didn't believe for joy, at first they couldn't, uh, they couldn't believe because they were so sorrowful. They were so pessimistic. It's like it didn't enter into their, their uh, frame of reference, their world of possibility. They couldn't penetrate through the darkness of sorrow. And now their response is like, no, this is just too good to be true. It just can't be. How spiritually dim-witted we are. How slow we are to learn. How unmoved we so often are by the wonderful teaching of God's Word. How we need the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to uh, see the obvious and to see its importance and significance for us. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, that's your, that's your testimony, which is just as necessary and essential for your understanding of the gospel as your belief in Jesus Christ himself as the Savior, because it's only by the Holy Spirit that the truth of who Jesus is really gets through so that we're more than nominal Christians, more than people who have a kind of historical faith, who will nod their head about a lot of orthodox things revealed in Scripture, but are unmoved and unchanged by it, because it never really took hold of them. That's the work of the Spirit. Thankfully, it's an ongoing work continuing to open our eyes to the wonderful truth of the gospel of Christ. It also shows that it's a faithful, honest report that we're given in the gospels. Because the weakness, the unbelief of the disciples themselves is on full display here. And some of them were involved in putting it on full display because they recorded it. You know, you'd think that if the resurrection of Jesus was a fabrication, it was some elaborate scheme to uh, start a new religion with, that the founders of the original uh, that religion would kind of um, uh, hide their own uh, disbelief. And they'd present it as something that's very credible and very believable. But the account is very forthright in... Uh, bearing testimony to their own lack of faith in what was told them. And that's significant also. They were to go forth as witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, eyewitnesses. But the credibility of their message itself doesn't depend on the strength of their faith, but the truth of what happened, according to the Scriptures. They found it hard to believe them themselves. That's left on record for us. And then finally, we are uh, given insight into another response, and that is that of Peter. Wonder at incontestable evidence. Incontestable means impossible to deny or impossible to argue with, again, by any reasonable person. 
And we're referring to what Peter and John also saw. We know from John's account that John went with him to the tomb, but we're only told of Peter here. He said, Peter, it says, Peter arose and went to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what happened. He went back home, wondering about it, but he still went back home, despite this tremendous testimony of what happened in that tomb. As I mentioned, John's gospel gives a longer account. Uh, we're told that John actually was the first to the tomb, but Peter was the first inside, and then John went in. And uh, it says, then they believed, but then it says, but they did not understand the scriptures. And so it's like they believed, in a sense, they believed that something strange or wonderful had happened, but but they really didn't know what it was. They didn't understand the scriptures' teaching. So they believed, and yet... And yet they didn't believe. Something unexplainable happened. There is that linen in which Jesus had been wrapped. And it's there present. And it's not scattered about the tomb. There's no indication that it's been hastily torn off the body of Jesus. In other words, the evidence uh, doesn't point to theft. If someone came to steal the body away, you'd think they'd take the time to remove all these strips of clothing and or these cloths. And if they did, it'd be scattered all over the place. So it doesn't look like uh, uh, theft would explain what happened, nor the removal of these uh, strips in a hasty, reckless way. And remember, there were a lot of spices, too. And uh, there's no indication that uh, they were strewn all over the tomb, but rather the appearance is, is what? That Jesus emerged from that wrapping. That he carefully removed that uh, napkin, that wrapping around his head and folded it and placed it by itself. Yes, the testimony within the tomb points to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that Peter marveled to himself. And our text just kind of leaves him there. And we know that it will take him much further. But it will take more. It will take more in Peter's uh, case to bring him to the full realization that his Lord and Savior is alive. And that involved the personal appearance of Jesus himself to Peter. But the Lord would bring him to that place. And the Lord will bring every one of his elect to believe our theme. That Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And believe it as something astonishing, something wonderful, something amazing. Believing it as that which is central to their hope, central to their faith, in a living Savior who lives now. You know that in every case it also really comes down to believing the testimony, believing the witness. Yes, it's through the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's a matter of believing the testimony of Scripture that has been preserved, that has been proclaimed down through the centuries, and by which God has brought us to recognize indeed that Jesus Christ is the one who came in fulfillment of Scripture, and He died for our sins, and He rose again on the third day. And in that great work, we have life. 
eternal life, spiritual life. We have even the life of Christ within us. Now, the reason why we believe in the heart of our testimony is not that we know Jesus lives because he lives within our hearts. Uh, we know Jesus lives uh, because the scriptures testify to that truth with infallible proofs. And yes, by the Holy Spirit, we have come to believe that. But that's a message for everyone. It's not just that Jesus lives in our hearts. No, he, he lives in heaven. He, he really lives. It's not some spiritual idea. But the reality that Christ truly lives is also echoed in the experience of believers. The mystery of the gospel is even described in terms of Christ in you. The hope of glory. And Paul prays uh, for Christians that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. In other words, more and more that we might believe in Christ, yes, indeed, as the exalted Savior and Lord in heaven who rose from the dead, literally, according to Scripture. But that reality has profound, life-changing results for us. Now, Jesus described those results uh, before his death to, to Martha, remember, at the graveside of Lazarus. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked, do you believe this? Do you believe this? You see, because people who really believe this, they're new creations in Christ. Everything is changed. Christ is their life. And the fact that he arose from the dead is not only astonishing and marvelous, but everything depends upon it for their time and for eternity. Amen.